Good morning. This morning's reading is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 16, which can be found in the Church Bibles on page 1139. That's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 16, page 1139. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, do not be conceited. This is God's word to us today. Good morning. Lorraine, thank you so much for reading those verses to us. Let me pray now uh, for God's help as we spend time uh, thinking about them. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you, you speak to us through it. We pray that you'd help us now. Help us to receive your word. Give us soft hearts. Uh, remove any pride. And Father, we pray that we would live in light of your word, in light of what you have to say to us uh, this morning. And we pray that you'd help me, that your spirit would speak through me. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How should churches respond to hot-button issues like race and abuse. 
Sadly today, questions around how to respond to these issues are causing churches to split and pastors to leave their posts. I recently read an article in Christianity Today that exemplifies this. So last month, Jason Meyer, the man who succeeded John Piper as the senior pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, resigned. And he said he did so because he was uncomfortable with the accusations by people in his congregation that he had been subordinating the gospel. Basically, some people believe that he was becoming theologically liberal because he was addressing social issues, notably systemic racism, in his sermons. On this side of the pond, earlier this year, a large number of evangelical Christians went on social media to publicly call on senior ministers of prominent Bible-teaching churches to resign. And why did they do that? They did it because of past associations of these ministers uh, with Jonathan Fletcher, a well-known former church leader who was found to be guilty of decades of abuse. Why am I sharing these stories with you? To be honest, I initially hesitated to share them with you because race and abuse are such sensitive topics. And neither of them is even our main subject this morning. I can't even begin to unpack them in this talk because um, I wouldn't be able to do them any justice in the short amount of time we have. So why am I sharing them with you? I'm doing so because race and abuse, I think, are, are the live issues facing the church today. And the stories I've shared demonstrate that they are capable of inflicting serious damage on Christian unity. Now, before we progress, I need to state the obvious. Any reasonable Christian today would clearly agree that racism and abuse are evil. Any Christian who would dispute that needs to spend more time reading the New Testament. So that is not the debate. The debate is how to respond to these issues. And what the past year has revealed is that how Christians think we should respond varies drastically. So let me give you an example. And I think this is to to a considerable uh, extent what, what happened with Pastor Jason Meyer at Bethlehem Baptist Church. While some Christians think it is right for a pastor to speak out against systemic racism from the pulpit, others will see this as a drifting away from teaching the gospel. Now, why such different responses? I suppose one group might argue that the gospel bears on issues like systemic racism and that therefore it must be addressed in sermons. Others, however, I think might argue that systemic racism is primarily a political issue and that therefore it should not be addressed directly from the pulpit. Let me give you an example of how how Christians think differently when it comes to how to respond to abuse. While Some think it is right for former associates of Jonathan Fletcher to resign. 
Others think that would be unfair. So the former would argue that it is right for them to resign because they shared the same enabling culture, having been influenced by many of the same groups or organizations. So they might have attended the same schools, served together on the same camps, worked at the same churches, and played important roles in the same evangelical networks. Because they have so much in common in terms of their formation, their history, and their experiences, they are a part of the same culture. And change can only come if they resign. This group argues that change can only happen if there is root and branch reform. However, the other group would argue that these leaders should not resign. Sure, they may have shared uh, much of the same culture, but this does not mean they should be painted with the same brush as Jonathan Fletcher and hounded for the bullying and abuse that he committed. Unless there is evidence to suggest that they too either committed abuse or were involved in a cover-up, they should not be asked to step down. Now, friends, if if you're waiting for me to to share which side I'm on on either of those debates, I'm not going to. And I'm not going to because um, it's not the subject of our passage. And also, I think it would actually run against what I'm trying to do this morning. The reason I raise these debates is because this morning's passage shows us how to deal with Christians who have different views to our own. While the church has its live issues today, it also did in the first century. And they were a severe threat to the church's unity. So what did the Apostle Paul have to say to Christians who who have different views and opinions on things? Have a look at verse 16. What does Paul say? Live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. That's what we are to do as Christians, and that is our theme this morning. Now, before we, before we explore what it means to live in harmony, I think it will be helpful to understand the situation in the Roman church. What exactly prompted Paul to instruct the Christians in Rome to live in harmony? To answer that, I'd like you to to turn to chapter 14. Let's look at chapter 14. We're going to spend a bit of time flicking through um, chapters 12 to to 16 of Romans. So let's look at chapter 14 and starting at verse 2. One person's faith allows him to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own 
mind. Friends, what caused Paul to instruct Christians to to live in harmony with one another? They had different views on what believers could and couldn't eat. And they had different views concerning sacred days. So, for example, some Christians would have been okay with eating pork. And others, probably from a Jewish background, would have gawped at the thought. Similarly, some Christians would have been okay with working on the Sabbath. And others, again, probably from a Jewish background, would have been mortified by the idea. So what does, what does Paul say to them? Notice first what he doesn't say. He doesn't tell them to have the same opinion on these issues. Rather, he says at the end of verse 5, each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Friends, there are some things which Christians have to agree on. For example, we all have to agree that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. If you don't believe those things about Jesus, you can't really consider yourself a Christian. Believing those things is fundamental to being a follower of Christ. But there are some things which we don't have to agree on. For the Roman Christians, disagreeing on whether or not they should eat pork didn't determine whether or not they were a true believer. You could be a Christian and eat pork, and you could be a Christian and not eat pork. However, the Christian who ate pork had no right to judge the Christian who chose not to eat it, and vice versa. So Paul says in in Romans 14 verse 4, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? In other words, who are you to judge someone else who belongs to God and is serving him? In short, Paul is saying that Christians are allowed to have their own views on what can and can't be eaten. But that does not mean they must force their views on others. Now, Arguing over what you can and can't eat, I think, sounds trivial to us today. It sounds petty, doesn't it? But make no mistake, this would have been a highly contentious issue in the first century. And it had the potential to cause deep division. And, and this is because at the time, the issue of the law was a hot topic. And how to interpret it as, as Christians was in question. Now, abuse and race are hot topics, which is good because they need dealing with. But how we respond as the church is in question. And how we respond has the potential to cause major rifts in the church. Friends, we all need to agree that abuse and racism are sins that that grieve God. Let me repeat that because that's really important. We all need to agree that abuse and, and, and racism are sins that grieve God. But we do not have to agree on exactly what we think about critical race theory or on what we think Fletcher's former associates are to do. 
having different views must not be allowed to cause division. So there should be no angry outbursts or harboring of contempt or mudslinging, which very sadly, there was lots of on social media after the news of Fletcher came out. Paul says, live in harmony with one another. By the way, notice what he, what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, don't live in disharmony. That would be easier, wouldn't it? We just need to make sure we, we avoided those whose views uh, we didn't share. No, Paul's, Paul's challenge is far greater than that. We need to actively seek to get along with those whose views are opposite to our own. Now, what should motivate us to live in harmony with one another? Church unity certainly is a good reason. But I want us to consider an even greater reason. And we find it in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Do turn back to chapter 12. These verses here, in, in, uh, these verses, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, are the foundation for the instructions Paul gives in chapters 12 to 16. The bulk of the imperatives that uh, in these chapters follow from these two verses. So let's have a look at them. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Friends, why are we called, why are we to live in harmony with one another? Because we are called to be a living sacrifice. We have two uh, short points today, and the first is this. Live in harmony because you're called to be a living sacrifice. Live in harmony because you're called to be a living sacrifice. Now, what does it mean to, to offer your body as a living sacrifice? Think of the Old Testament sacrifices for a moment. The Levitical priest would lay the dead body of a lamb or goat on the altar to be burnt as a sacrifice. In the book of Leviticus, it often repeats how the sacrificial offering would produce an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Here's an example from Leviticus 1, verse 13. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Did you notice the similarities between that and what we read in Romans 12, verse 1. This verse in Romans is alluding to Leviticus. There's, there's the language of offering, the language of sacrifice, and the language of pleasing God. Friends, thankfully today, we are not called to offer animal sacrifices 
like the Israelites did in the Old Testament. But we are called to offer our bodies as a sacrifice. Now, now this, of course, doesn't mean that we must attach a suicide vest to ourselves like terrorists. No, we are called to be a living sacrifice, not a dead one. In other words, your whole life is meant to be a sacrifice to God. I wonder, do you see yourself that way? I don't mean, do you occasionally make sacrifices in your life? This is way more radical than that. I mean, do you see your whole life as a sacrifice to God? Is your life being poured out sacrificially to him? If it is, it is, metaphorically speaking, producing a pleasing aroma to him. When when we live in harmony with those with whom we disagree, we are offering our bodies as a God-pleasing, living sacrifice. Conversely, when we choose instead to dodge, despise, or berate those with whom we disagree, we are effectively saying to God, God, I will not offer this part of my life as a sacrifice to you. Thank you for the suggestion in your word, but I'm going to do this my way. Friends, the temptation will always be to avoid or disregard or even condemn those with whom we disagree. But God says, live in harmony with them. Living in harmony with them is part of our sacrificing ourselves. Now, does this sound like a big ask? It does because it is. Offering up our bodies as a living sacrifice is not easy. It's painful. It's costly. It's hard. But it's worth it. And and it's nothing compared to what God has done for us. He has shown us mercy. Why are we to be a living sacrifice? We are because of what it says there in chapter 12, verse 1. In view of God's mercy. Friends, in Romans chapters 1 to 11, uh, we see that God has pulled out all the stops to make sinners like you and me righteous and to give us life in the Spirit. That's God's mercy. Now, Paul is saying, let's thank God by sacrificing our lives and obey Him when He tells us to pursue harmony. We've just considered why we are to live in harmony with one another. But how do we live in harmony? Our second point is, live in harmony 
by having the mind of Christ. Living in harmony by having the mind of Christ. In these final five chapters of Romans, Paul speaks of the important role that our minds play in how we live. So we see it then in chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Friends, what is the pattern of this world? It is to ignore, criticize, or condemn those we disagree with. It is to only pursue harmony with those who are like us, or those we think we can benefit from. I recently saw an article by the Huffington Post which said, choose friends who have similar values to you and associate with people with a higher status than you. Is that what we are called to as Christians? As Christians, we are to live in harmony not only with those who have the same views or values as we do, but also with those who have opposing views. And we are to live in harmony with all people, not only those we consider to have a high status. Verse 16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Friends, let's not conform to the world's ways. Let's not allow pride or self-centeredness to to stop us from living in harmony with one another and pleasing God. Rather, let's have the mind of Christ. Turn to Romans 15, verse 5, uh, where we see Paul pray for this. So Romans 15, verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. And what was the attitude of mind that Christ had? Have a look there at verse 3, chapter 15, verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. That quotation there, that's a, that's a reference to Christ's death on the cross that Paul is making, where Christ was humiliated and insulted. Friends, Christ chose not to please himself. That is, he chose, he chose not to please his flesh by avoiding sacrifice. He chose instead to please God by sacrificing his body on the cross. So Paul, Paul is asking here, will we choose to please God like Christ did by sacrificing ourselves? Now, this is really important. Our sacrifice is not what saves us. I need to make that very clear. Our sacrifice is not what saves us. It is Christ's sacrifice which saves us. And it's his sacrifice because it's his sacrifice that took away our sins. It's very important to get that. Now you might ask, 
well, if it's, if it's Christ's sacrifice that saves us, why should we bother with sacrificing ourselves? He's already saved us. Here's why. Because we can. Because Christ sacrificed himself, when we now sacrifice ourselves, it is pleasing to God. Apart from Christ's sacrifice, we'd never be able to please God. But because of Christ's sacrifice, you and I are able to please God through ours. Isn't that an enormous privilege? Christ was the dying sacrifice so that you and I could be a living sacrifice and in this way please God don't you want to please God I know I do and the good news is we can just as Christ pleased God through his sacrifice let's also please God through Ours. Let's have this mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters, as part of our sacrifice, let's live in harmony with those we disagree with, even on contentious issues, knowing that it produces a pleasing aroma to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we read about living and think about living in harmony from these verses, we are all too aware that we have failed in doing this on many occasions. Father, we are sorry and we pray that you forgive us for often being proud and self-centered rather than seeking to, to understand our brothers and sisters with whom we disagree. Father, we pray that we would have uh, the mind of Christ. We pray that we would um, be those who want to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice in view of all that you have done for us in your Son. Thank you so much for your mercy. Father, we pray that your mercy for us, your mercy towards us, would cause us to live in harmony and to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The band is now going to come up.